0: So, the preacher is sitting on the railroad tracks right by the train. I'm not sure what that's supposed to mean. I have to tell you some exciting news. Uh, we're very pleased and excited that my grandson Henry is home and doing great. And we praise God for that. Yep. Got the chance to hold him this week and love on him, and it's just been very, very special. Well, I also want to share with you that uh, this, of course, is VBS, and if you choose to come back in just a little while after the uh, second service, there'll be ice cream for you and uh, pizza, so you're welcome to come back and be a part of that, too. Well, today we conclude our sermon series on the dangerous sermons, and we've looked at some, some really powerful sermons that were preached, Jesus' sermon, of course, and they tried to throw him off a cliff when he got done. And then we looked at last week the story of Paul and and a sermon that Paul preached that ended with him being stoned uh, and them throwing uh, stones at him at the end of his sermon. Well, today is a little different. And today I want to look at a, a person's sermon, and not just the sermon that they, they live with their words, but we're also going to talk about at the end uh, whether or not their words match their life. And this is the thing, right? When I was playing basketball growing up, and, and maybe you had this experience, lots of time spent in the playground, uh, and going to, uh, to play basketball with, with and pick up games. And and there was always this interesting thing that would happen. Every now and then there would be someone that would show up. Man, they'd have on brand new Michael Jordan tennis shoes, right? They were best tennis shoes out there. The best logo wear and shorts and shirt. If anybody looked like they were going to play a great game, it was this guy, right? He seemed like he had all the attire. Surely he was really a great player, but then when he would actually get in the game, terrible. (laughs) Looked great on the outside, but had nothing to offer really of substance uh, when the game happened. Maybe you've experienced that in other settings, something that looked really good, but when the pressure was on or when the circumstance was there, well, they weren't what they appeared to be. The world looks at Christians... And the critique of Christians in the world is that, well, they talk a good game, and, and they say a lot of right things, but if you look at what they do, it doesn't always match up with what they say. And so we, we wear that stigma from time to time of people questioning whether our faith is genuine or not. Enter into the picture, first century elder and Brother of Jesus, James. Now, James's journey has been an interesting one because James starts off his journey. We know from uh, the Gospel accounts that he didn't believe in Jesus. He didn't trust him. He didn't believe that he was who he was. We don't know all the reasons why, but James is not a believer in Jesus. In fact, James doesn't come to believe in Jesus until after the resurrection when James, Jesus appears to James in his resurrected body, and it's only then that James comes to faith and believes fully in Jesus. And James then, of course, becomes an elder in the church in Jerusalem, uh, and once he converts to faith, he goes all in. And, of course, the church was born in Jerusalem, and so the church in Jerusalem is the largest of all the gatherings of Christians at that time, and James becomes the most prominent and important elder or leader of the Jerusalem church so James was a person of great influence in the 1st century he was also a person who who spoke not so much to the world out there but he had a lot to say to the people inside the church he had a lot to say to the Christians and his sermon was his sermons were preached and his letter was written, not not to the general public, but to people who believed in Jesus. And so we read in the book of James, and, and I would read the whole letter to you, but it would take a little bit too much time. But I encourage you to read all of the book of James because it's a, well, it can be a life-altering book. It's a very powerful letter. And if you're a Christian, you should especially read it because it's written to you, it's written to me. And James is pointing out in here how the, how that we have to be consistent with our, not just our words, but who we really are. So I decided today, since I can't read you the whole letter, I want you to hear very quickly the action words, the action verbs, the things that he's asking us to do. So we're going to make a quick run through James, and we're going to look at all the action words he calls us to. So as an example, in James 1:19 through 20, he says, be, be quick to listen, and slow to speak. Be slow to become angry because human anger doesn't produce the righteousness that God desires. James one twenty one, he says, Get get rid of all the moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent in the world and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. James one twenty two through 25, Do. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. Do what it says. Do what God's word says. For anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says, is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard but doing it, They'll be blessed in what they do. James one twenty seven, look. Religion that God our father's, Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. Look after widows and orphans in their distress and keep yourself from being polluted by the world. He calls us in chapter 2 to listen. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes. A poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. Now, if you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but you say to the poor man, you stand over there, or you sit at my feet on the floor, well, have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? So listen, listen, my dear brothers and sisters, Has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith? To inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him. Don't dishonor the poor. In James 2.8 he says, keep. Keep the royal law found in scripture. Love your neighbor as yourself. And in James chapter 2 verses 12 through 13. He says, speak. Speak as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Yet mercy triumphs over judgment. He has a lot to say, doesn't he? He's firing off a long list of things, of actions. He says, I expect the church to be doing these things, Christians to be doing these things. And he goes on to say in chapter 3, to sow. Be a peacemaker who sows in peace so that you might reap a harvest of righteousness. The most controversial passage that that he speaks is one that really challenges some of our ideas about our salvation and how we live out our life. In James chapter 2 verses 18 and 19, he tells us to show He says, someone will say, you have faith, but I have deeds. I tell you, show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. And that is at the very heart of his letter, and it's at the very heart of this reality that James was calling the church to. Does your life match your words? Does your life match your faith? In chapter 4, he says, submit, submit yourselves to God. He says, resist, resist the devil so he'll flee from you. He tells us to draw, draw near to God and he'll come near to you. To wash, wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts. Chapter 4, verse 10, humble yourselves before the Lord and God will lift you up. James four thirteen. he tells us about what we say is important. Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow, we'll go do this or do that, we'll spend a year there or carry on business and make money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. I like what it says in James chapter 5, verses 7 through 8. He calls us to action again. He says, this time, stand. Be patient, then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too must be patient. You must stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. James 5.13, he tells us to pray, to sing, to call, to confess. Listen to these words. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call on the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord, and the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. For the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And finally, the last action that he calls us to is in James chapter 5, verse 19 and following. He says, my brothers and sisters... If one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and will cover over a multitude of sins. A quick reading of James's letter and his calls to action. Let me just one more time put some of these action words back into your mind before we ask the most important question of today's sermon. Quick review. Be slow to speak and quick to listen. Get rid of moral filth. Accept God's Word. Don't just listen to the Word, but do what it says. Look after people who are in distress. Listen, and have a heart and eyes that are attentive to the poor. Keep the royal law to love others above yourself. Speak knowing that God is hearing your words and always speak mercy and grace. And show, show that your faith is genuine by what you do. And sow peace in a world that so desperately needs it. Ultimately, submit yourself to God, put his will above yours. And draw near to God and draw your strength from him and purify your heart. Humble yourself so that God can lift you up. And trust your life into God's hands and say, if it's the Lord's will, I will do it. And stand firm. No matter what happens, stand firm. Pray and sing and call on the name of the Lord. And lastly, work hard to bring back people to faith. And to turn someone who is in error from their way. Those are the things he called us to. So the question before us is: Did James really do those things? I mean, he he told us that's what we should do, but did he do them himself? Was he just a poser, or was he the genuine article? Did he live out what he told others to live out? I mean, today, the thing that is most frustrating, right, in the world is people see pastors and ministers and teachers and elders and youth group leaders and youth ministers that, that say one thing, but then they do something radically different, and the world looks at them and says, well, what? what's going on? It's inconsistent. It doesn't make any sense. Maybe you've had that happen to yourself. Maybe you've been called hypocrite. Or worse yet, maybe there's a time you've been one. We all fall in many ways. So what about James? Was James living out what he said and what he preached? Was he a living sermon? St. Francis of Assisi is credited with once having said, you are the only sermon some people will ever hear. You are the only Jesus some people will ever see. So what sermon does your life preach? In what reflection of Jesus do others see in you? It's a dangerous thing to pay a lot of attention to the, the books and the letters and the things that were written in the first century that we don't have included in the Bible. We know, for an example, that there were some people at the, in the first century when we were collecting the letters from the apostles that were written. We know there were some people who, who wrote some things on scrolls just for money, sounded religious, just wanted people to buy a scroll. We also know we had people that were intentionally writing stories at that time period that kind of either mocked faith or they, they were misleading people about faith, and, and sometimes those show up, and people think, well, that's a genuine letter. It didn't make it in the Bible, but it's, it's legitimate. So it's really dangerous to trust those things, and and the way to best know if a letter is true or not is to say, does the stuff that's in that letter or that document, does it match what the New Testament says? Or does it radically shift from it? If it radically shifts from it, it probably is a good indication it was a false teaching that someone wrote. And, And Paul was constantly warning the church, be careful. There are a lot of people spreading false messages right now. Test what you hear and be careful about it. Well, understanding that, I I have to be cautious in what I'm going to tell you next, (laughs) because I want us to listen to the words, not of a letter writer, but of a historian, a historian from the early period of of Christian history. Now, there are three or four historians that we frequently listen to and that we quote uh, that have a lot of credibility. One of them is Josephus. He was a Jewish man who lived during the collapse of Jerusalem, and the writings of Josephus are, are read not as a, it's not a biblical story, but it's a history book. And so we, we read Josephus for his historical contributions. Another of those early people who wrote a lot about what was happening in faith is a man named Origen. And we listen to Origen, we read his, his writings, it helps us to understand things that were happening in the world at that time. Another a great historian that that people in the in, in scholarly circles generally look to and say, "Hey, this person had a sense of what was happening is is a man named Eusebius. And Eusebius uh, he has written something for us about James, and he actually can tell us the a story about James. Now I can't tell you that this is one hundred percent gospel truth because it's not written for us in the Bible. It's a historical account that's shared by Eusebius, but we have good reason to believe, let's say with 95% certainty, that Eusebius knew what he was talking about, that what he's giving us is an, is an account of someone who was an eyewitness to what happened. And so we can, we can have some, some faith. If you want to really argue it and tell me, yeah, I don't trust Eusebius, okay, I, I'll give you that 5% chance that he's wrong. But if he was right, he gives us a good insight into the life and the death of James. And I want you to hear the story that he records. Now, Eusebius tells us that the members of the Sanhedrin, remember, these are the people, the scribes, the teachers of the law, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. This was the group of people who had been against Jesus. And they had seen Jesus crucified. This was the same group of people who had been against Stephen in the beginnings of the church. And they had Stephen stoned. These were the same people that we read about that were upset with Paul and Paul's teaching. And this same group of people shows up in the account of Eusebius. And he says that the Sanhedrin then came to James and this is, this is what he writes. He says that the, the Sanhedrin came to James, and they said, We entreat thee, restrain the people, James, for the people have gone astray in their opinions about Jesus. They actually believe he is the Christ. They think, James, that your brother, Jesus, is the Messiah. So we entreat thee to persuade all who have come hither for the day of Passover concerning Jesus. For James, we all listen to you. We all listen to thy persuasion. Since we, as well as all the people of Jerusalem, bear thee testimony that you are just and you show partiality to no one. Do thou therefore persuade the people not to, attain, not to entertain erroneous opinions concerning Jesus. For all the people, James, and we also listen to your persuasion. So take thy stand, James. Take thy stand upon the very summit of the temple, that from that elevated spot thou mayest be clearly seen, and thy words may be plainly audible to all people." For in order to attend the Passover, all the tribes have congregated hither, and some of the Gentiles also. Now, just want to pause for a second here. The church was born on Pentecost Sunday, 50 days after Passover, and it had been a gathering. All the people were there, and it was in that gathering that the church had been born, and that that Peter and the other apostles had preached that incredible message. Here, now, sometime later, possibly even 30 years later, the masses are gathered in Jerusalem again for Passover. And the Sanhedrin says to James, who once didn't believe in Jesus, but came to faith in Jesus, they say to him, James, everybody knows you're a good guy, so why don't you just stand up there and tell them they're misinformed about Jesus? (laughs) They've just got it wrong. Well, to the scribes and Pharisees' dismay, Eusebius writes, James did boldly testify these words. Listen to what he said when he stood up on top of the temple to speak to them. He said, Christ himself sits in heaven at the right hand of God, the great power. He shall come on the clouds of heaven. He boldly proclaimed from that spe- that space. They said, hey, go there and talk to people. He says, I'll talk to the people. Jesus is real. God is real and Jesus is with God and he's coming back on the clouds. He could not have more clearly said, Jesus is the Messiah. He is the one. So the very thing that he had been told not to say, to help the people not to, not to believe is the thing that he boldly proclaims. Now the next part is a kind of dark irony and humor because it says to us, Eusebius writes, the scribes and Pharisees then said to themselves, we have not done well in procuring this testimony to Jesus. We did, what were we thinking, giving him the mic? What was that about? And then the dark, the dark part of their heart shows. And understand they had killed many Christians already. And so this is not a stretch for them. So they say, let us go up then and throw him down off the temple, that the people then will be afraid, and they won't believe in him. Accordingly, the scribes and Pharisees threw down this just man, James. Now incredibly, when James falls to the ground, the fall itself hasn't killed James but as he lays there on the ground trying to come up to his knees the scribes and the Pharisees encircle him and like Paul they pick up stones and begin to throw rocks at him yet James says this I beseech thee Lord our God forgive them for they know not what they do And while they were there stoning him to death, one of the priest's sons, a son of Rechab, began to cry aloud, saying, Brothers, cease what you do. The just man is praying for us. But one among them took the staff with which he was accustomed to wring out the garments that he dyed. Think a cricket bat. He hurled it at the head of the just man. So James suffered martyrdom. The Christ followers buried him on that spot, and at least in the time of Eusebius, he writes, the pillar erected to his memory remains there close to the temple. James was a true witness to both Jews and Greeks, a witness that Jesus is the Christ. Now if his account is to be true then we should review again what James said and ask ourselves the question did his life match what he said was he quick to listen and slow to speak he measured his words carefully did he do what the lord's word said he did was his heart to look after widows and orphans those in distress i have to believe there were christian Men, women, and children in that audience that day. Very likely widows and orphans as well. Did he respect the people who were rich and wealthy? Well, that was the scribes and Pharisees, but he didn't give them much respect. But he sure showed respect for the followers of Christ. Did he keep the royal law, to love your neighbor as yourself? Even prayed for his persecutors. Did he speak mercy instead of judgment? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And that pivotal question, the one that was at the heart of James's letter, did he show his faith by his actions and his deeds to the very end? Did he sow peace? Did he submit himself to God? Did he stand firm to the end? And did his actions help turn someone from the error of their way? The thing that we admire about James so much is that we have reason to believe James didn't just talk a good game, he lived one. He didn't just preach a good sermon, he lived one. He didn't just say, You should be like Jesus he was like Jesus. Now I want you to understand that the series we've had on dangerous sermons all of them show us that it is is not it is not without risk that we follow Jesus. But it is worth the risk to follow Jesus. I pray that you never face the kind of persecution that James and the people of the early church Based. I pray you never face the kind of persecution that our brothers and sisters of, in other parts of the world today face for their faith. Whether we face those kinds of persecutions or not, though, I hope that we are proven faithful. It's not that you've never made a mistake or a sin. It's, it's that the testimony we have is not that as Christians we were perfect and we've always been perfect That's not our witness or our testimony or our message. But our witness and our testimony and his message is that Jesus changes us. (laughs) We're more than what we once were. And that he can change others as well. James had that testimony. Though once he hadn't believed, not only did he believe, He put his life in Jesus' hands in the end. It is interesting that Jesus went to the cross at the Passover, and it is interesting that James also found his end at the Passover. What of us? What of us? It is a dangerous thing to speak truth In love, it can be a dangerous thing to not go along with the rich and the powerful. It can be a dangerous thing not to follow the status quo, especially when the status quo is increasingly worldly and godless. The question before us is will we be faithful, no matter how dangerous that might be, no matter what the risks? Will we be faithful? Now it might be that you're here today and you've never yet accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior. If that's your circumstance, then this is a great day for you. The opportunity to find salvation, to know Jesus Christ and forgiveness and love and mercy is being offered and extended to you. If that's something you've not done, I encourage you and invite you to make that decision for Jesus today. And for the rest of us, May James' words still ring in our hearts and our minds today. If your witness has fallen and you have failed in some way of recent to- in recent time, then confess it to the Lord and ask for forgiveness. And if there are opportunities for you to shine brightly for Jesus, my prayer and my hope is that you will do all that is in your power to represent Christ well. Whatever decision you have to make, would you make it now as we stand and we sing our hymn of invitation?